Brian Matonis is the founder of Lead Engines, an outbound automation tool to make prospecting easier. Brian originally went to college. He wanted to work in the science field. He had to drop out for several reasons. He then interned at a company. He has a computer science background, so he worked with automating things. He automated some processes and ended up saving them over a million dollars. He asked for a raise, but he was denied it. Something about the budget. He realized he just had to venture off on his own. It took him some time to find success, but he finally hit it. Ryan is creative and is always looking to fix problems. Listen to follow his journey and learn how he helps businesses sell with ice-cold email. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash nodegree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Hello, welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today, I have Ryan Matonis, the founder of Lead Engines. Holy shit, dude. I just realized I don't actually know the proper way to say your first name. Oh, it's Janaya. Don't worry. Janaya. We're going okay. to keep that in the episode. You know what? It's funny that when sometimes when you talk to someone and then... It's almost like, too late. <laughs> it's, it's, it, hey, it's never too late. It's never too late. Right? I mean, I'm pretty sure there are people that you meet, like that you see on a regular basis that you say, what's up to at the grocery store? You have no idea what their name is, but like that's the guy, you know, who you see on your route every day. So what do you do? What is Lead Engines? Can you describe what Lead Engines is? Yeah. So Lead Engines is a data product for B2B sales teams. So when sales teams want to get more customers, one of the ways they do that is cold email. And Lead Engines is the way they find the people, you know, the businesses and the people that they want to reach out to. So what type of tools? Like, is it email? What are the ways that they can find people? It's email, but it's like a search engine for leads, and then it finds their emails, and then uh, you just email that list of people. How'd you sort of get into that? Well, the way I got into lead engines was I had previously started other startups, and they failed. And I realized that no matter what I wanted to do with my life, I had to learn how to market and sell that. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to start a lead generation company. That was one of the things that like really sold me on lead engines. You caught me off guard with that because I was in a mindset where I was looking for something very specific. And like one of those things was lead engines. And there's like several different components to how I came to decide that. I mean, share the different components. I mean, it's not like you need one specific answer. Yeah. So there's a lot of different answers. One of them, you know, I I knew that I needed to learn how to market and sell. So if I was going to go do a bunch of startups um, or I was going to try to do startups and I didn't know how to market or sell anything, they were probably all going to fail because of that, you know? And so I was like, okay, you know, I'll do marketing and sales for other startups. I'll learn from the founders I'm working with. I'll learn how to bring, you know, take their idea that's already working, bring more customers in the door, learn from just as many perspectives as possible, how this industry, that industry makes contact with different types of customers or different types of business partners. So lead generation is kind of like where it all starts. That's kind of like contact, you know, between the customer and the business or like the business in the marketplace. And, you know, there's a couple other reasons to get into lead, lead generation. So like, if you think about it, if you run ads for a company, say they pay you a thousand bucks, you run some ads, they make five grand. What do you think they're going to do with it? Right. So you want to sell a product or a service where if people are getting success with it, they're just going to come back and buy more, like a lot quickly. So those were kind of the two things I was looking for. I was like, you know, I want to do a lead generation business so that I can learn how to market and sell anything from the people that are already out there, like marketing and selling their stuff. And I need a business that I can scale up and just keep selling the customers more when it works out. So it seems like it was the perfect storm, like the background, the inspiration and all that. Let's kind of take it back to high school. How was high school like for you? And what did you want to become in high school? In high school, I was dead set on becoming a scientist. 
And I guess maybe that more or less panned out depending on your definition. But I was good at the classes I cared about. And I was really bad at the classes that like I didn't think were important. So what classes didn't you think were important? I guess I didn't really think like English and writing classes were important, which is kind of funny now because I do like a bunch of English and writing. Even like I didn't think spelling, you know, I, who cares about spelling? And then I actually got into the only career like computer science where actually you can cause devastating errors with spelling. <laughs> so, you know, I guess you never really know what is important, but like at seven years old and 12 years old and 16 years old, I was pretty sure about what I was and wasn't going to need in the world. You actually did go to college. How was that experience like for you? I was pretty similar experience. I was really good at the classes I really cared about, um, especially because the information was like more freely available online. And what I just really struggled with was like showing up at the classes where it's, you know, underwater basket weaving. No, I don't want to take a jab at something that people are passionate about. I guess I will if it's underwater basket weaving. But, you know, I just bringing myself like to go to that class two and a half hours, three times a week, like research it, study it, get passionate about it. I really struggled, I guess, like to complete things and be motivated about things if I wasn't passionate about it. That totally like held me back. I guess I will say that's not like, that's not something that goes away, right? Like if you become an entrepreneur, if you think you're going to be like a CEO so that you don't have to do the things like you don't want to do, that's not going to pan out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, look, outsourcing is an amazing thing. So thankfully you don't have to do everything. But in the beginning, I know that there's so many things you have to do. So eventually you dropped out. What made you make that decision? And was the decision hard for you? It kind of just like happens. I was in what was pretty much my last year. And then I started getting pretty sick. That just kind of led one thing to another. I probably don't have a lot of things to say about that that are particularly useful for this podcast. No, but I mean, look, I've had people, life happens. And the fact is, is that when life happens, it's about how you respond. And sometimes you have to go on a different route. So obviously you went through a career pivot because you kind of wanted to do one thing. Now you got into startups. What skills did you start picking up, right? Because you obviously didn't learn everything in schools. What skills did you start picking up now that you're sort of on a different path? Yeah. So really the career pivot, like before when I was doing internships and stuff, I was in corporate worlds and I really didn't like the corporate world. And that kind of goes back to like the experience I had in high school and college, you know, where it's like, I can be really passionate about things, but it's really hard to be passionate about being just a little cog in a wheel. It wasn't for me and I wasn't happy. And I had an experience at Northrop where, you know, they hired me as an intern and in my first like six months, trying to automate some stuff and we didn't save him any money, cost him a bunch of money. Maybe the next six months, it did start saving him, you know, a couple grand. The next six months, oh, wait, now we're saving tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, And then right around when I left, they had saved $1.5 million. And they'd spent maybe like 25, 50 grand on me as an intern and like my tools and everything I was using. And that was just a one factory and they were getting ready to like move it to these other factories, right? And they were going to deploy it across the nation. And I was just sitting there, you know, I got my offer from them. I think it was like $68,000 or something like that per year. And I was thinking, I was like, you know, I should be the guy that's saving or, you know, getting, you know, at least a better, better cut than that, right? I need yeah, to own the software. at least 10%. And look, I'm going to say at least 10 They have costs and stuff, but at least 10%. Yeah. And it's not just software, right? It's like what you create. If you own what you create, like, obviously, you're not going to be able to pay yourself salary and benefits in a competitive rate for the first like year or two while you're creating. Because if you're actually creating something like valuable and unique and like big, it's going to take 
time. You're so right about that. Yeah. So you just got to like own it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so now you saved, you know, you got the offer of 68,000. Did you end up taking it or what'd you end up doing? No, I left. I said, I'm going to go make way more money working for myself. And I was half right. Let's talk about the half right part. And then let's go into the half wrong part. All right. I worked for myself. That's, that was the part that was half right. Um, I made way less money and I wasn't even making good money as an intern. That was, I guess, when I had the realization that like, hey, I'm a really good software developer and I've been selling software development services and like I'm not making money doing that. And it's like the part of what I'm doing that's broken isn't like the part that I've been focusing on because I've been so gung-ho on that passion and not caring about the things that are important. How'd you fix that hole? you right. How did you get to, instead of half right, how did you get to full right? Yeah. So that, I mean, that took years. That like recently happened. But <laughs> the way I got there was just by committing to learning the things that I knew I needed to know. Like I got passionate about what I wanted to become. If you want to do something and you want to have it be sustainable, this goes even to people that have like benefits ideas, B Corps charities. Like if you can make it profitable, it can like live on its own and grow. So if I want to actually change the world, right? Like Elon's not out there running Tesla as a charity or SpaceX as a charity. It's like you have to learn how to connect the dots and make money with the thing that you're passionate so that you can keep doing it and so that it can keep going. And I guess I really developed a different mindset and it was stepping back from like, you know, trying to program my way out of every problem and thinking that every problem had a software solution kind of thing. Like being, you know, thinking like every, you know, tool is or everything's a nail for my hammer. It was like just learning, you know, the things people valued, right? Like if you don't understand why people will pay thousand dollars for a logo, then you don't understand the value like of a good logo, you know? If you don't understand why people are willing to dedicate, you know, their life to marketing and sales and build their company around marketing and sales and a company spends 60, 70% of its money on marketing and sales, that's a you problem. That's not like an insight that the world is wrong. It was the combination of like, if I want to get anything done meaningfully, like I need a war chest. What I tell people is if you think you're more moral than the average billionaire, you have a moral imperative to become a billionaire, <laughs> you know? I like that mindset. Yeah, go take their money and go do something better with it. And, you know, you got to learn the tools to do it. That was what led me to starting a lead gen company. So how'd you go about learning these things? Like, did you read books, online courses? What was your style of learning? Failure, I guess. <laughs> Failure is a good teacher. The trial and error, man. I said I wanted to be a scientist. So if you want to be a scientist, you have to have an extremely high tolerance for trying and failing and continuing to gather information from it, I guess. And that's applicable, I think, probably for entrepreneurship too. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of specific fields, it's like, did you fail connecting with people and that's how you connected with people? Did you fail at marketing? And that's how you learned. But like, how'd you get things right after failing? Because there are people who just keep on failing, right? And they never learn. How'd you get things right? Usually if you're failing and you're not learning, it's because you're asking the wrong questions. And asking the right questions is more important, I think, than having the right answers. It was kind of this realization that like, I needed to focus on things that other people like cared about that I happen to be good at and not like things that I cared about. I don't think that's like something that's permanently true, but I think if your purpose or your goal is to like learn how to be a business owner or learn how to be an entrepreneur, then it can't also be, I'm going to learn how to be an entrepreneur within the context of building a $500 billion green energy company. It's like, I think Mark Cuban said that he joined an MLM and then he bought 7-Eleven or something like that. And you know, it's like, you can't just like look at Jeff Bezos and start acting like Jeff Bezos and become Jeff Bezos, because that would just mean you go buy a bunch of Amazon stock, you know, like right now. And it's not really going to change your life. You have to be who he was, you know, when he was you. 
Yeah, in the 90s, and that famous picture where he's in, like, you know, a small office with a bunch of books, right? Amazon started as a book selling company. Yeah, that's you, though. That's you. You're in the office with the books right now. But maybe your listeners are, you know, they need to go see what Jeff Bezos did in high school, right? Or, like, you know, how did this person that achieved everything, you know, like, what was he doing and what were his priorities when he was at your stage in life? What would you say was the biggest turning point for you as an entrepreneur other than, right, you mentioned that realizing that you kind of have to be passionate about succeeding and being an entrepreneur as opposed to just being passionate about software and specific things. What was another big breakthrough for you? It's constant, you know, like um, it's. Yeah, no, I mean, that's fair. I haven't stopped learning, I guess, since I started. And I guess I unlearned many of the things that I thought I learned. And, you know, that's a really hard question to answer, I guess. The big thing is like focus on the market, really, maybe not focus on the market, focus on what you don't know first when you want to start something new. You can like rely on your ability that you're really good at to like carry you through like when you need it to. So when I look at a phone app, you can show me pretty much any phone app and like I can immediately see like, oh, this is how it would be built, you know, like it's this package and this package and it's like, so I shouldn't be thinking about like, what's the coolest phone app I could build. I should be exploring for people that need a phone app or like demand for something that I intuitively see how to do better, right? I should be looking for people that are already telling me this is the phone app that needs to exist. What would you say are the biggest mistakes you've made throughout the years? I mean, it's always the same. It's always just betting too long and too hard on something. It's taking too long to fail. That's the biggest mistake you can make is take too long to fail. Failing quick is a, is definitely a good way. Hey, I'd rather learn quick than you know, because I've seen people work on something three, four, five years, and then it just sucks. Whereas you fail in year one, you're like, all right, I realized it was, I made the mistake. I realized why it didn't work. Now on to the next thing. Yeah, fail fast. And I think fire fast and quit fast. You know, there's nothing wrong with quitting. I don't even think there is such a thing as quitting. You know, like there's a difference between folding your hand and standing up from the table and never playing poker again. And I guess in certain situations, all three of those things are advisable. I've seen all the time, like if you're like 32 and you still haven't made the NBA, you know, you should rethink your priorities, right? What would you say are the things you did right? And even from early on, what would you say? Hey, like, this is what I did right. Like the things you've learned. And obviously, like, you know, being good at software was a skill. How'd you get good at software? Passion, dude. I think in high school, I started taking these 3D animation classes and I was never really much of an artist, but it was like the coolest thing ever that I could go program all these skeletons running around and throwing balls at each other and stuff. And so, you know, I just kind of learned it like because I had to in order to entertain myself. And then I started doing research actually in a neuroscience lab at one of the universities for my senior projects. And they had no idea how to like efficiently use a computer, but you know, they knew a lot about neuroscience and psychology and stuff like that. And so I just learned code along the way, you know, it was like, Hey, you're sitting here and you're doing this exact same thing to a file in Excel, like every single day. I don't know much about computers, but I'm pretty sure like that's what a computer is supposed to do. Um, so I, you know, got that. And then they wrote me a letter of recommendation to a genomics research lab, at the Salk Institute, which is like one of the, you know, more prestigious research institutes. And I went there and, you know, they gave me more problems that could be solved with programming. And it was just like, you have to have a practical it's, is that really practical? You have to have a real world application, you know, for like what you're trying to learn. If you can create goals for yourself with that. I very much learned the programming stuff like through internships and hands-on work. I actually did pretty well in my programming classes, even though I didn't really go because like I was already like doing it semi-professionally, which is really what you need to pass the CS classes in college. 
I think the best decisions that I made, they sound contradictory, but obviously betting on myself and then knowing, knowing when not to, you know, you have to believe in yourself and you have to think like you can do it. Um, but you also have to know that you can't do everything. You know, most of the decisions I make, whether or not they're good or bad, it seems like they ultimately come down to whether or not I properly like appraised my own abilities. I think that's such great advice because it's like, we all have our strengths and weaknesses, right? And I'm not a big fan of the advice of you can do anything because there are certain things I just can't do, but that's okay. But there are certain things I can do. And I think once we realize that what world makes sense for us, we can really go tackle it in a much right smarter manner. So was there ever a time a lack of a college degree held you back? Yeah, I guess. Like mentally, you know, like I didn't apply to Google. It impacted my decision. So yes, I guess that's the most significant way that something can hold you back, right? You know, it's funny. Right before this, I was on LinkedIn, right? While waiting for the call. Someone tagged me in a post and said you would find me, you would find this interesting. It was someone who got into Google without a college degree. Yeah, it's all in your head. Yeah. And especially they've been making the push. I mean, it's still tough to get in regardless because I think you get like 50,000 applications a week, but it is possible. So other ways that it held you back. So you didn't apply to certain companies. What else? I didn't pursue like the hard sciences that I had been working in. There were a lot of things that like directions I had really thought about going in life. But I guess the reason that I didn't go those directions was that when I had tried them through internships, like I wasn't really like satisfied, you know, which sounds kind of weird. It's like I got the job that I really thought I wanted. And, you know, I thought like I was like everybody wants, not everybody wants to be a scientist, but that's up there, you know, that's up there. And I was doing it and it was just like, yeah, it just wasn't the right thing. So how'd you sort of get past that about not having a college degree? Because it did seem like there was a point where, hey, it did have some mental, it caused some mental barriers for you. How'd you get past those mental barriers? When you approach people like a business and not like somebody that's looking for employment, you know, they, nobody asks. That's really what it is. Nobody asks. So, you know, hey, freelance software developer, I'll build software for you. Like nobody really cares that you didn't finish your like rhetorical writing and like cultural studies class in order to write, you know, like some B2B software application. It's not the end all be all for everybody. For some companies it is. It's a great way to filter people out, you know, filter out people like me. There's plenty of reasons you wouldn't hire me. I would never be successful as like a cashier or somewhere where I have to show up on time and, you know, smile and be nice. These things, you know, eight hours a day, like that would be I mean, strenuous you would be successful at saving a company $1.5 million though. So I don't know. We could do that. We could, I could help them replace the cashiers, the automated machines. I mean, and results speak for themselves, right? It was, it was really kind of, I guess, like, you know, you have to the fake it till you make it thing. Like, like, hey, I'm a software consultant. And it's like, what have you ever done with your life? You're like, you're right. <laughs> but I do know actually kind of a lot about this and I can probably help you. But, you know, you got to it's it was, it was all mental, I think. I think really it was all mental and it continues to be mental. Every time you tell somebody that your service costs more money than you've ever told anybody it ever cost before. It's like there's. Yeah, there's a little thing like, hey, am I going to get it? Yeah, it's like, is it really worth this? Like, is this person really going to? And then they do. And it's like. Wow. Okay. How do you think the education system can sort of be improved for someone like you, right? Who kind of struggles, like what could someone have told you to make you maybe care about some certain other classes more or maybe see the light? I guess I don't think the education system failed me because it taught me a lot of things that were formative and like useful skills. I just didn't get the part that I think uh, maybe doesn't matter as much. Maybe to some people it does, but you know, I think maybe they could take some of the fluff out of the education system. I don't think not having a degree means that you not have, you don't have an education, you know, like, uh, 
you just don't have all the boxes that they specify. But I still think learning is enormously valuable, whether or not it's in a classroom or it's through a course or through it's a trade, you know, a trade school or on the job experience. Like if you ever feel like you're not learning in your life, you should go look for something else because that's where you're going to stop. It's so true because once you start learning, you really become ignorant, right? You get caught up in your own head. Like you, I've seen, you know, just even like a lot of famous people, right? They're very good to listen to. They're they're listening. They're open. They're open-minded. And then you slowly see that they kind of caught in their own eco chamber. And then their opinions change, their personalities change. And it, I don't know, they're not the same person anymore. So I, I learning is just so important because more and more information comes out every day. And, you know, I think Muhammad Ali said, right? A person who's the same at the time they're 60 as a 20 has learned nothing in like whatever 40 years. Now, how was the salary like for you? When did salary, like you mentioned that in the beginning, you didn't make a lot. When did you hit a point where you actually started making good money? When people did say, yes, I'm going to pay you X amount for this software. And you're like, wow, I'm making a good living now. It was worth it. There's two answers to that question. And it really depends on whether or not you're looking at like take home income or whether or not you're looking at like the aha moment when holy shit, this clicked and somebody's paying me like a good amount of, you know, I don't have enough customers yet, but I can't believe I just sold it for that amount. Um, so there was really the two things. The reason lead engines worked in the first place is that first one, that aha moment where it's like, holy crap, I can't believe somebody just paid me for that, like that much for that, was how lead engines started. And that's why lead engines is succeeding. What it was, he needed a piece of software built for his business, his lead gen business. He needed to just connect a couple tools that he was using together manually and he needed that automated. And I told him, look, you're going to need to maintain the software. You're going to need to improve the software. What if I just sell you a license for what you said is your budget to build it? You can use it forever and I will always maintain it. You never have to pay for that. And I will always upgrade it because I'm selling it to other people and you'll never have to pay for that. It was a much better deal for both parties. That was sort of how Lead Engines was born. And it was $1,500 for the license for the software lifetime, which is pretty good. That's like maybe like yeah. the Salesforce price range, right? This was something I had figured out like after a bunch of different failures before I even came up with doing like an idea like this. But that was the first moment when I realized I was like, I'm actually selling something that somebody wants. It's valuable. They're willing to pay a good price for it. And I'm able to turn this into a standalone software product. It took about another year and a half before it became like I had a business that I could work inside in inside of and pay myself like a wage where it was, you know, I was making money every month instead of just like paying my bills. Then it took probably two years after I started the company until it was like, okay, I'm making more than if I was just like a software developer somewhere. I think if I had just been like a software developer and I was getting paid 200 grand a month a year or whatever at Google for the last three years, I would still, I would have more in the bank than I do right now because, you know, I have a business, you constantly reinvest in the business, but month to month, the actual net profit is like more than what I would be like pulling in as a developer. And I guess by next year or two, you'll slowly start surpassing what you would have made as, you know, total over the time. Yeah, we have doubled. It was like four times in the last five quarters. So that's good because a lot of people last year was not necessarily the best year for them. So people who have come out strong, they're just really set for the future. Now, how has the industry that you've been in changed over time? I'm actually a little new. I've been in the industry three or four years. And from what I can tell, not a whole lot has changed. <laughs> the data world is totally changing. And the data world is moving towards everything being more connected. And I'll give you kind of a good example for this. Let's say I know your LinkedIn or your Facebook profile ID. Based on that, I can look at your groups and I can figure out like you like some certain restaurant or whatever, right? Okay. Well, 
if I know your name and your city, I can also find your Facebook. And if I know a couple other things about you, there's more dots I can connect. But as you connect more and more dots, you have like this, it's called this critical mass or like this network effect of data, where just by knowing your name and there's nobody else that lives in your city that has the same name as you, I know everything about you. I know whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or something else. I know if you smoke, I know what your religion is. I know if you have insurance, I know what insurance it is. I don't personally, but you know, like this is the data network effect and what it's capable of. And data totally sells based on value. And it's like not going to get cheaper, you know, like people are like, oh, data, you'll just like copy it. And then two people that have the same database will get into like a price war. That's not what's been happening. Like these pro- you know, data products, like they keep getting more and more expensive because they keep getting more and more valuable because people keep getting better and better at using them and like coming up with new and unique ways to use them. Like, so the data industry is obviously growing very, very quickly. I think the sales industry is changing in that it just gets harder because of if you're not keeping up with what's changing in the data industry. Yeah, no, I mean, the world's most valuable companies, right? They're companies that sit on tremendous amounts of data. And it's interesting because a lot of people didn't see it coming. I remember I was talking to, I don't know, someone in finance. This was years ago. This must have been like 2014. I don't know. Early, pre-2016, I was like, look, Facebook is a data company. That's what they are. They're not an app company. (laughs) They make money through data and ads. And They've definitely really capitalized it and just the timing of everything. Now, what advice would you have for, you know, someone in high school? And specifically after that, what advice would you have given to yourself when you were younger? You know, when I was younger, I probably would have told myself that the things I didn't think were important, they actually, you know, like they are important. You just don't think they're as interesting, you know, and that you probably need to learn how to be passionate about things, you know? or like how to actually enjoy doing something like so much of being happy with like what you're doing just is internal. And it actually has very little to do with what you're doing. That being said, there's obviously things that'll make you unhappy if you have to do them. But, you know, learning to like whatever you're doing at work in a cubicle, you know, is probably not the worst thing life has to throw at you. might actually be interesting. Like there might actually be something that you could go learn about that is that is pretty interesting about this thing that seems like it otherwise might be boring or there might be a more fun way to look at it. That comes from within. Maybe that just comes from getting punched in the face. So what's the hardest you've been punched in the face? I know you've been through a lot of failure, but what's something that like sticks out? Oh, well, sometimes life just punches you in the face. I mean, one time, you know, when I was 10, I went out in the woods, got bit by a tick and I got Lyme disease for no fucking reason, you know? Oh, damn, that sucks. There, and there's no reason, right? And it's like, it, you got you got punched in the face and uh, you try to rationalize it or like you try to think like, why did I get punched? In, it's, you got punched in the face. So, you know, you fall off the horse, hit the ground running, hopefully. If you don't, you get up and you do your best. You can't like let things become permanent. I know some things, like some things actually, they- Like Lyme disease is permanent though, Well, right? yeah, that can be permanent. But- there's things that are inherently non-permanent, like your worldview is inherently non-permanent. So if you're letting these things have like a permanent impact on that, that's within your control and you need to do something about that. Um, so for me, I guess one of the big things was like, I could always just use that as an excuse. And then it's like, okay, then I failed and people just appreciated that I had a good reason. That's the end game for that. <laughs> what are your future goals? What's in store for the future? I have no idea. <laughs> I want to do more in SaaS for the next couple of years, but like long-term, I don't have huge goals um, in terms of like 
what I want to actually do. You know, I was in biology and virology and like when COVID popped up, it was kind of cool to think like, what if I had actually stayed with that, you know, but hopefully the, the universe will, will present itself with another disaster that maybe I've made myself more capable of solving. Um, hopefully not, you know, but my goal right now, it's just like, dude, I guess I'm not even going to be bashful about it. Like the goal is to make money so that I can do whatever I decide I'm going to do. Yeah. I mean, I'm the same way. Money solves a lot of problems. It does. Money's agency, dude. Money's your ability to do things. You can, Elon Musk is able to tell people to build electric cars and rockets because he has money and he has money because he made PayPal. PayPal is very boring compared to saving the planet and colonizing the universe, you know, but he had to do it. Yeah. I think you shared a lot of great info. Is there something else that you think, you know, high school kids or people sort of in the entrepreneurship who have dreams of entrepreneurship should really know? Yeah, it's really easy to try to just try something that you really want to try, just even if it's like for a couple of weeks. If you think you want to be a scientist, then go get an internship at some lab somewhere in you know the local university and go be a scientist for six weeks. It's probably not what you think it is. If you think you want to be an engineer, go like, even if it's just job shadowing, these are things that nobody takes seriously at all. Like, oh, job shadow. Oh, my senior project, I had to go watch an engineer be an engineer for like 20 hours. And it's like, cool. What did that teach you about, you know, engineering and like, oh, it's completely not what I thought it was. There's not like a connecting of the dots that it was like, hey, that was a valuable 20 hours. You just saved a lot of time, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so many people when they, they have these idealized movie like visions of what their job is, but really being a lawyer is a lot of paperwork, right? It's a lot of like emails and all that stuff. And that's not something you see right on TV. You only see the sexy things of them, you know, solving cases and stuff. But leading up to that, it's like, hey, it took three years to get this whatever judgment or decision or this settlement and this back and forth. So I, I think that's so true that people job shadowing and just learning about actual careers because it's like there are a lot of things that are not fun. There's a lot of things and that you have to really realize. So, I mean, let's start to wrap up. How would people get in contact with you? How would they support you? They would go to LinkedIn and uh, they would send me a direct message and they would get a response unless they were like trying to sell me something. They still might get a response if I want it, but don't take that as an invitation. <laughs> I mean, to DM me, yes, but you know, to talk me or wares. What's your website? So it's leadengines.com? Yeah, there's a hyphen. It's lead-engines.com. And then also we're launching another product called API Exchange, which is the same api-exchange.com. Do you mind sharing? Talk about that because I'm super excited about it. All right. So API Exchange is a platform where you can take any old code that you have laying around on your computer and you can, in about five minutes, turn it into a software as a service product that you can sell to people. And it handles like payment processing and account creation and stuff. I made this and then I didn't even realize it. I had about thousand bucks a month worth of software just sitting around on my computer that I was selling to people that I wrote that was that they're out there buying. I'm not even marketing it. So API exchange is um, hopefully that's my PayPal. I don't think lead engines is going to be my PayPal. API exchange might be my PayPal. No, you know what the funny thing is? It's like you've come full circle because API exchange is something that would have been perfect for you when you were younger. Yes. You know, when I did the first lead engines build, if I had used API exchange, it obviously didn't exist. I could have built it a lot cheaper and I could have got to market a lot faster. But, you know, that's like, obviously, that's why I'm building it. It's that realization. And I wouldn't have figured that out if I hadn't built a bunch of SaaS products that flopped and then finally built one that was good. <laughs> Two, I guess. I promise API Exchange is good, too. 
So we'll have those links in the show notes. You've really showed how failure, just trying different things, sticking with it is such a great teacher, right? Such a great experience. And you've taught the listeners so much. I know they've gotten a lot of value. I've gotten a lot of value. I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you so much for your time, Ryan. Have a wonderful day. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so you got no degree, no problem, no problem, any problem, we can solve them, LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, growing and knowing, wisdom is flowing, if you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, if you didn't know, now you know, let's sing that again everybody, no degree, no problem, any problem, we can solve them, Insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in a knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going.